Hello, welcome to The Wire Podcast, a podcast that provides the best content about all things sports. I'm Ryan McCrary, and to kick today's episode off, I want to recap the conference championship games that we saw in college football this past week. I also want to react to the final edition of the college football playoff rankings. Those were released on Sunday, and they were extremely controversial. I have a lot of strong opinions about them, so I can't wait to talk about that. After that, I want to talk about the Indiana Pacers and their star point guard, Tyrese Halliburton. They are having a very interesting season. I want to talk about how good the Pacers have been offensively and how not so good they've been defensively. After that, to close out the podcast, I want to talk about the San Francisco 49ers, who are having a dominant season at the moment. They've been really good this year. I want to talk about how good they've been historically, and I want to talk about how good they've been both offensively and defensively. I also want to break down their quarterback, Brock Purdy, and discuss whether or not he is a legitimate MVP candidate. That's what we have on tap for today's episode. I hope you're excited. I know I am. And let's go ahead and dive right in. Alright, let's go ahead and get started by recapping the conference championship games which took place this past weekend, and let's get started by breaking down the Pac-12 championship which was played on Friday. So the Pac-12 championship was between Washington and Oregon. These two teams actually played earlier this year. I believe that game took place in Washington. Washington beat Oregon that day, and they actually won in the rematch as well, despite the fact that they were, I think, nine and a half point underdogs. It was a huge upset. Washington beats Oregon for the Pac-12 championship, and this game was awesome. It was a lot of fun. Washington was really good in the first half. They got out to a big lead. Oregon started to come back in the second quarter, and they really came back in the second half when they took the lead. However, Washington came back as well. They retook the lead in the second half, ended up closing at the game, winning 34-31. Huge win for Washington, and they have had an incredible year. They're undefeated. They picked up some huge wins. Now they're Pac-12 champions, and that, that win right here secured themselves a spot in the playoff. Now we can move on to some of the games that we saw on Saturday. Starting off with the Big 12 Championship, that was the first game that took place on Saturday between Texas and Oklahoma State. And unlike the Pac-12 Championship, this was not close. This was a blowout. Texas was dominant, winning 49-21. to I watched that game. And it was a dominant performance from Texas from the get-go. I believe that they were ahead by 28 in the first half. I mean, they were awesome. And this this is coming off a huge win that they got last week against Texas Tech, a game in which they won 57 to 7. I believe that yeah, I believe that we me and Thomas, my friend Thomas, we talked about that game on this podcast last week. And Texas had a strong uh, finish to the season. They were really good the last 5 games and they were dominant the last 2, including this game against Oklahoma State. And that was a strong performance. I think the committee really liked that. We'll talk about about that a little bit more later on when I talk about the playoff rankings, but dominant performance from Texas. They win the Big 12 title, and they they put in their bid, a strong bid at that, for a playoff spot. After that, I believe the next game was Georgia-Alabama in the SEC Championship. That game was a lot of fun. Came down to the wire. Neither team performed all that well. I really thought Georgia was going to win this game heading into it. And honestly, I thought that Georgia was going to be okay even if they lost. I thought heading into it that they were that they had a playoff spot locked up. But once they lost to Alabama, I realized that that wasn't the case. And honestly, I think that going into this game, 
I just didn't see a way that Georgia was going to lose to Alabama because I thought that Georgia was good. I know I've been lower on them this year than a lot of people, especially lower on them than the committee, but I thought they were better than Alabama. In my opinion, this is the worst team Alabama has had in a long time. And obviously, that's saying a lot because Alabama has had great teams. Like, they have had some awesome teams and they're still good. But they are nowhere near as good as they usually are. I'll talk about that a little bit uh, more a little bit um, later on in this podcast. But yeah, it was just a weird game. Alabama um, went down early. Georgia had a great start to the game. But then their offense slowed down. Alabama's defense played really, really well. Um, and they went up by double digits in the second half. Uh, late in the fourth quarter at that, Georgia was able to score a late touchdown. But... They could not get another stop to get the ball back, and Alabama won 27-24. Big win for Alabama. Huge win. They finished the year 12-1, and and they finished the year with an SEC championship. That was huge as they were trying to make the playoff. Uh, the next game was, we actually had two games that were like at, on at the same time. Florida State, Louisville, and Michigan, Iowa. I'll go ahead and get the Michigan, Iowa game out of the way. I didn't watch most of this game. It was a dominant performance from Michigan. They won 26 to nothing, which isn't surprising. Um, I thought this would be a low-scoring game. Not a lot of big plays. You know, I thought it was going to be a defensive battle, and it looks like that's what it was. Iowa couldn't score. Um, and that's not surprising. They're great defensively, but their offense is not that great. It's not that great. And Michigan took care of business, winning a Big Ten championship, and basically securing the top seed in the playoff. And then after that, we had FSU Louisville. FSU needed to win this game to make the playoff. If they wanted any chance of making the playoff, they needed this win. And it was ugly, but they got it done. They won 16-6. to it was a rough game to watch. I watched all of it. It was tough. Neither team performed very well offensively, but FSU was great on defense. They really locked up Louisville's offense. I thought Florida State's defense was incredible. I thought it looked really good. Their offense with their third-string quarterback was not great, but that's to be expected. I wasn't surprised, um, but they ended up winning by double digits, winning an ACC championship, finishing the year undefeated 13-0 with a conference championship in a power five conference you would think that that would secure them a playoff spot but you know we all know that that did not happen and we'll talk about that right now and we can actually go ahead and talk about the final edition of the college football playoff rankings before we get into that I want to give a huge shout out to all the teams that played in conference championships this weekend. There were some great games. Shout out to everyone who, who made it to their conference championship. That's a huge accomplishment. And all those teams should be proud of the season that they had. All right. Now let's go ahead and get into the college football playoff rankings. They were released on Sunday. And they were quite interesting to say the least. And I'm going to go ahead and pull them up. So let me go ahead and find them real quick. We'll go through the top 10. Um, like I've been doing when I break down the, the uh, rankings throughout the season, let's go ahead and see what the committee, uh, what the the committee's rankings were on Sunday. So at number ten you have Penn State, number nine you have Missouri, number eight Oregon, number seven Ohio State, number six Georgia, number five Florida State, number uh, four Alabama, number three Texas, number two Washington, and number one Michigan. I'm going to start by talking about the top of the rankings because. You know, everyone's pissed about four through or uh, three through five. Everyone's pissed 
that Florida State didn't make it and that Texas and Alabama did. And I'm going to talk about that because I have a lot of thoughts about that. But I want to start by talking about Michigan-Washington at the top. I think the committee got it right there. Michigan, uh, as the one seed, was an easy choice, in my opinion. I think they have the best resume. I think they're the best team. Um, and they're at the top of all the power ranking systems. They rank, I believe, I'm trying to remember if they rank first or second in strength of record. I believe they rank second behind Washington. Um, but still, they have arguably the best resume. And I think when you look at the impressiveness of their record and how good the team is, when you're looking at power ranking systems, Michigan at number one was an easy choice. And then at number two, I think the committee got it right with Washington. Um, and that's not a hot take. I think everyone would have ranked Washington at number two. They were undefeated, had an incredible resume. There were some questions about how good the team was, but certain power ranking systems liked Washington a good bit. Some didn't love them as much and had them ranked as low as outside the top 10. But in my opinion, I think the rankings should be you know, heavily weighted towards resume and the impressiveness of each team's record. That's how the playoff works for basically every sport outside of college. Um, and I like that. I think I think the rankings should be more, more geared towards the most deserving than the best teams. I don't want the rankings to be determined by our power ranking system. I want teams to earn a spot in the playoff. Um, and so Washington definitely did that. They earned the spot. They were great this year. They were awesome offensively. Not quite as good defensively, but still uh, fairly good on that side of the ball. Um, they got a, a bunch of huge win, wins. Their resume was incredible. And I thought they are well-deserving of the second spot in this year's playoff. Here's where, where the controversy, controversy happened. At number three, you had Texas. I don't think that was too much of a surprise. When they revealed that, I was like, okay, that's not surprising. They um, they went 12-1 and this year. They had a really good resume. They won their conference championship. And they had the head-to-head over Alabama. So I thought, if Texas is going to get in, that makes sense. I think that's fine. Um, and of course, you had like Georgia falling out of the rankings, which is... Kind of surprising when you consider that they were number one heading into the week and they fell five spots. But this is the deepest playoff field that we have had maybe ever. There were a lot of teams that were playing for a playoff spot this week, and that's usually not the case. So it was a deep playoff field. The committee obviously cared a lot about conference championships this year, um, and they haven't really had to care about that as much in recent years like last year TCU did not win their conference championship, but they still were able to make the playoff because there were they just there just weren't as many teams that had a case for the playoff as there were this year. Um, and so I, I understood why Texas made it. At number four is where I got pissed. When they showed that Alabama made it, I was really upset. And I wasn't upset that Alabama made it. I thought Alabama was easily deserving of a playoff spot. But I was really upset that both Texas and Alabama made it instead of Florida State. And the committee had their spokesperson, Boo Corrigan, come out and kind of explain the rankings. And like he does every time he does this, he said nothing of substance. He gave no clarity about the rankings. His his defense of the rankings was basically that the committee looked at each team and thought, you know, and, and considered... Would teams want to play, play this team or not? And that's basically, it sounds like that's basically 
how they came up with the rankings. Um, and then they said that Florida State is a different team than they were with Jordan Travis. And look, I agree. They are a different team. However, we've always seen them play two games without Jordan Travis. Are we really going to base our rankings off a sample size that small? And listen, the playoff games are a month from now. They are like a month away. Their third-string quarterback, who played against Louisville, was not going to be playing in that game. Uh, Rodemaker was. And so, like, the fact that the committee was basically making their rankings based off, like, a game and, like, four quarters of uh, Rodemaker is really interesting to me. In my opinion, Florida State should have been in. They were undefeated, they won their conference championship, and they had a really good resume. I don't think their resume was elite by any means, but it was a good resume. They beat LSU, they beat Clemson, Duke, Louisville, Miami. Um, like They had a bunch of really good wins, and they were undefeated and won their conference championship as a Power 5 team. In my opinion, they easily should have been in the top four, whether they were three or four, I don't really care. If the committee would have would have tried to make some like two good matchups in the semifinals and put Florida State at four, I'm fine with that. And I didn't really care who the committee chose between Texas and Alabama. I thought both teams had good arguments. I would have picked Alabama personally um, because I think Alabama just has the better raw resume and is a better team than Texas. But Texas does have the head-to-head. And if the committee would have put Texas in over Alabama, I would have been okay with that. I think that would have made sense. And if the playoff was Michigan, Washington, Texas, Florida State, I would have loved it. And I think that would have been a great decision. But no. The committee decide, decided to punish Florida State for Jordan Travis getting hurt late in the year. And I get it. Like, I understand that Florida State is not one of the four best teams. And the committee obviously feels that way. And I felt that way even when they had Jordan Travis. Florida State has been outside the top four in power ranking systems for basically most of the year. Um, however, I don't want the rankings to be that way. And the rankings have never been the four best teams. I know the committee says that that's how the rankings work, but they've never worked that way. I mean, if the committee really wanted to have the four best teams in the playoff this year, they would not include Washington. And I know Washington fans are going to be pissed about me saying that, but it's true. Look at all of the power ranking systems. We have composite power ranking systems. I will look them up. And the composite power ranking system basically takes the average of each team's ranking and a bunch of different statistical power rankings that measure how good the teams are. And you want to know what the top four is? It's Michigan 1, Ohio State 2, Oregon 3, and Alabama 4. And I know people don't want that. Like, I know that people don't want Oregon to make the playoff. I know people didn't want Ohio State to make the playoff this year. And so for the people that are like, let's have the four best teams, you don't you don't actually want who is the actual four best teams to make the playoff. See, you have this skewed view of who the four best teams are. And part of that, that, that view that's skewed is that some of the teams that are included are in because they have a great resume, and they deserve it. But they aren't necessarily one of the four best teams. That's the case for Washington, and that's arguably the case for Texas. And I get that Texas is good. Like, I'm not saying they're bad. I'm just saying that if you wanted the four teams that are truly the best teams in the country in the playoff, 
That's not what the committee did. And it wouldn't include Washington, and it wouldn't include Texas. It would include Michigan, Ohio State, Oregon, and Alabama. And arguably Georgia. But, yeah, like, the, the committee who claims to put in the four best teams didn't even do that. And let me tell you, like I said earlier, they've never done that. They didn't do that when Cincinnati made it. They didn't do it when TCU made it. Like, they have never done it. Their rankings have always been a mixture of resume and team strength, whether they want to admit that or not. Um, and I think that it is just a travesty that Florida State is not in the playoff. They deserved it. They, they, they earned it. They earned it on the field. They won every game. They had some nice wins. Like, they beat LSU. They beat Louisville. Like, they earned it, and they won a conference title. Like, this team deserved to make it. And I don't care if you think that they're that they're going to, um, that you thought that they would lose by a huge margin to Michigan. I don't care. I don't care. We should let things play out on the field. That's what we play the games for. I mean, shoot, like, Washington, I mentioned this earlier, they were a nine-and-a-half-point underdog to Oregon in the Pac-12 championship. And you know what? They won. They beat Oregon like they did earlier this year. Last year, everyone uh, thought that Michigan was going to dominate TCU in the semifinal, and TCU won. Now, I know that they got destroyed by Georgia, but that was a historically good Georgia team. And, and TCU already proved on the field that they deserved to be in that playoff when they beat Michigan. And a lot of people have said, you know, the committee just didn't want another situation with, like, like they had with TCU last year. Let me tell you, Georgia was freaking awesome last year. They were going to dominate whoever they played, all right? Like, that's probably what was going to happen. They were awesome. A historically good team. And this year, who's to say that Florida State wouldn't beat Michigan? I don't think they would, but let's see it play out on the field. Like, I don't care about these hypothetical situations. Like, let's see it play out on the field. Florida State deserved it. They earned it when they went undefeated. They earned it when they won every game with Jordan Travis, and they earned it when they won every game without him. They earned the spot in the playoff, and the fact that they aren't playing for a national title sucks. It sucks that they're not in the top four because the committee was like, well, let's let's put in the four best teams, and they didn't actually do that. The committee is full of crap, and they always are. The committee is terrible, and I hate the fact that our playoff in, the, in college football is decided by a, a committee of people who are actively involved with schools. There are athletic directors who are actively serving with universities on this committee. How is that possible? That should not be allowed. It's insane. And then the committee never provides any clarity about their rankings. We don't really know all that much about their criteria. We know that they consider strength of uh, strength of um, schedule. We know that they that they you know take into account injuries, um, and we know that they claim that they want the four best teams to be in. That's what they're choosing. However, I think that they have never done that, and I think the proof is in the pudding. But yeah, I'm I'm just frustrated, and I know that like. I know, I know that in, at the end of the day, the, the playoff is going to be fun. It's going to be good. We're going to get, we're probably going to get the best team winning the championship this year. But still, I just think it's so unfair to Florida State. I mean, if you're an athlete, you are told your entire life, next man up. That is preached on like every team that you're on growing up playing youth sports. It's next man up. If one guy gets hurt, the next guy has to step up. And you know what? Florida State faced that situation this year. 
Their star quarterback, Jordan Travis, one of the best quarterbacks in the country, went down with a season-ending injury. And guess what? The next man up had to step up and play well. And you know what they did? They won all the games without Jordan Travis. They earned the playoff spot. And I'll say it again. It is a travesty that Florida State is not in the playoff. It's disgusting. I hate it. And I feel so bad for Florida State not getting in. It sucks. Um, And man, I just, I feel so bad for them. And I want to go through my own playoff rankings. I have a system that uses two metrics from ESPN. Strength of record and FPI. Strength of record measures how impressive each team's record is. And then FPI is basically a power ranking. Measures each team on how good they are as a team. Um, And the system is basically what the system is supposed to do is predict the rankings based on past results. So based on the final college football playoff rankings from past years, um, I use those to, um, along with these two stats to basically try and predict future um, playoff rankings from the committee. And so my, my top six was six, Texas, five, Ohio State, four, Florida State, three, Alabama, two, Washington, and one, Michigan. So my, um, my rankings had three of the actual top four. Mine included Florida State. It did not include Texas. If you're wondering why my system had Alabama over Texas, it's because my system does not, does not give a team extra points for a head-to-head victory. It doesn't look at that. The fact that they beat Alabama is considered. That is part of their resume. It is part of their FPI, their power ranking. But um, they are not going to automatically get in based on the head-to-head. Now, you can make that change manually if you want to. And I think that's fine. And if you did that, Texas can get in over Alabama. But for my system that doesn't um, care about conference championships and doesn't care about head-to-head, it had um, the, the top four teams, my total resume, um, Michigan, Washington, Alabama, and Florida State. That's how I would have voted um, based on my system. But yeah, so those are my thoughts on the final edition of the College Football Playoff Rankings. Let me know what you think. Hit me up on Twitter at the Ryan McCrary. That's the R-Y-A-N-M-C-C-R-A-R-Y. I know we're a few days out from the rankings being, or, uh, from the rankings being, being announced, but... I want to hear your thoughts. Let me know what you feel or how you feel on Twitter about them. I'm genuinely interested in seeing what my, what my listeners think about the rankings and how they feel. Okay, now let's move on and talk about the Indiana Pacers and Tyrese Halliburton. I want to start by focusing on, in, on the Pacers' offense. Right now, the Pacers are having a very interesting season. They are 11-8, and eight, and they have one of the best offenses in the league. They actually rank first in offensive rating. Um, their offense has been incredible. And the other night, they got a huge win against the Celtics. I believe that was a, an in-season tournament game. And so now they're going to Vegas for the semifinals of that in-season tournament, which is really cool. But yeah, their offense has been incredible. Um, I took a look at a, a lot of different numbers uh, in preparation for this episode. Um, they have an elite pick and roll offense. They're also really good in isolation. If you go to NBA.com, you can look at stats. And you, can, you can look at how good each team is in different play types. And these play types include isolation, uh, pick and roll ball handler, pick and roll roll man, spot ups, cuts, um, stuff like that. And when you look at the way that the Pacers offense is performing in some of these play types, they 
are really good, and their profile is awesome. Like I said, they're elite in pick and rolls, both in terms of how their pick and roll ball handlers are performing and how their pick and roll rollmen are performing. They're also really good in isolation, and I think the fact that they're so good in isolation has a lot to do with Tyrese Halliburton. When you look at the top teams in this category by this play type, a lot of the teams have at least one specific player who is elite in isolation. For example, the Mavericks are at the top, and they have Luka Doncic, who is one of the best isolation players in the league at the moment. And so, the Pacers have a really strong offensive profile in terms of their play types. They, they've also been really good shooting from basically every area of the floor. They've shot extremely well at the rim, extremely well from mid-range, and extremely well from the three-point line. It's interesting when you look at how frequently they're shooting from each area of the floor. They have a Mori Ball offense. And if you haven't heard of the term Mori Ball, Mori Ball basically is kind of this um, analytical evolution that happened in the NBA a few years ago where teams started to go away from shooting mid-range shots and focusing on getting shots at the rim and from and from behind the three-point line. And the Pacers have a huge, like a very Mori Ball offense. They shoot a lot at the rim and a lot from three-point range, but they don't shoot as much from mid-range. Um, and that's to maximize offensive efficiency. And listen, it's working. Their offense is insanely efficient. Um, it's arguably the most efficient offense in the league at the moment. Um, I will say the Pacers' defense is not very good. In fact, it's probably the worst in the league, if not close to it. They have, they rank, I believe, bottom three in a raw defensive rating from basketballreference.com. And if you don't know what defensive rating is, that's basically how many points a team is giving up per 100 possessions. And um, dunksandthrees.com has defensive rating as well, but theirs is adjusted for opponent strength. And in this metric, the Pacers do rank at the bottom of the league, they rank last among all NBA teams, so the Pacers are really good offensively, but they're also really bad defensively, um, and it's just really interesting to see how that works out, um, and I looked at some kind of power ranking metrics, I looked at SRS, which is a stat from basketballreference.com, SRS stands for Simple Rating System, essentially it's um, average margin of victory adjusted for opponent strength. In this stat, the Pacers rank 10th in the league, so their offense is carrying them to pretty high levels. But when you look at adjusted net rating, and net rating is point differential per 100 possessions, when you look at this stat from Duncan uh, DunksandFreeze.com, the Pacers rank 18th. So when you look at these different power rating metrics, the Pacers have kind of a wide range. So um, interesting to see where they rank in the league and where they will rank uh, rank at the end of the season. Now I want to talk about Tyrese Halliburton because I got to talk about him. It's like impossible to talk about the Pacers without talking about Tyrese Halliburton who is having a remarkable season. At the moment, he's averaging about 27 points and 12 assists per game on around 67% uh, true shooting. I will say some of these numbers are a little bit dated because I did this research for this podcast about a day ago, maybe two days ago. So these numbers are a little bit dated, but still, they should be pretty close. Um, like I said, he's averaging about 27 points and 12 assists per game on 67% true shooting. That true shooting, that efficiency, is 17% above league average. Now, when I say that, I don't mean that the league average true shooting percentage is 50%. I mean that literally, his true shooting percentage 
is 17% above league average. Um, and he's, his shooting splits are crazy. He's shooting 52% from the field, 45% from three, and 88% from the free throw line. He's had remarkable production as a passer. He is arguably the best passer in the league and arguably the best playmaker. His his production as a passer this year and the last couple of years has gotten ridiculous. It's insane. He's arguably the best uh, passer in the world. He's ridiculous in that area. Now, Tyree Taliburton is not perfect. He's really good offensively, but he's not perfect by any means as a player. He's not a great rim finisher. That's one of his biggest weaknesses. And he's also a pretty poor defender. His defensive metrics are not great. They're pretty weak. Um, and that's playing a part in why the Pacers are so bad defensively. Because the Pacers, they are pretty, uh, they're, they're solid at defending the rim. But overall, they're just not a great defensive unit. They don't have a lot of great defensive players. Um, and that's why they aren't performing so well defensively. But yeah, Tyrese Halliburton's playing really well. When you look at like these catch-all metrics like box plus minus, estimated plus minus, which measures a player's impact um, per 100 possessions, how many points they are worth per 100 possessions, Tyrese Halliburton ranks near the top of the league in these stats. I believe he is top five in box plus minus and top five in estimated plus minus, which is crazy. His development over the last couple of years has been crazy. And I remember when he was coming out of Iowa State, I liked him, but I didn't love him. There was a point where I was thinking, man, this guy might be a better prospect than LaMelo Ball because they were in the same draft. Uh, but eventually, I started reading other people's opinions, guys on draft Twitter whose opinion I trust, and they had some issues with him, like his frame, because he was really skinny in college. And honestly, he still is pretty skinny now. But he also had a pretty loose handle at Iowa State. And I actually agreed with these assessments. And I was like, yeah, these are pretty big issues. He doesn't get to the rim a whole lot. Um, he didn't in college, and so I thought these were big issues, and so I didn't have him as high on my big board that year as the numbers would indicate, because his numbers, his production in college was crazy, but I had him ranked a bit lower, so to see him make me look like a fool for ranking him low, um, and to see him develop into just an offensive genius has been awesome to watch. He's great. He's leading the best offense in the league, in my opinion. It's been great to see him grow as a player, to see him become unstoppable offensively. It's awesome. He's awesome as a scorer. He's awesome as a passer. And I can't wait to see him grow even more moving forward. Okay, now let's close out the podcast by talking about the San Francisco 49ers who are having a dominant season. I'm going to talk about their offense, their defense. I also want to break down Brock Purdy and whether or not he is a legitimate MVP candidate or should be a serious MVP candidate. So right now, the 49ers are 9-3, and, and this weekend, they picked up a huge win, beating the Eagles 42-19, to and I believe that game was on the road. What a performance. They were awesome. They were awesome on both sides of the ball. Their offense was incredible. They were just so efficient on that side of the ball, and they're having an incredible season, and this is not the only dominant win they've had. They've had a couple dominant performances, like earlier this year. They beat the Cowboys 42-10. They beat the Jaguars 34-3. They beat the Seahawks 31-13. And of course, they had this win against the Eagles. They've been dominant at times this year. And I know that in the middle of the season, they had a three-game stretch where they really struggled and they lost three games in a row. But outside of that, they've looked extremely dominant. And I know you can't just throw those losses out the window. They matter. But still, 
Um, at their best, the 49ers have looked like a historically good team. A big reason why they've been so good, and mainly like the, the main reason why, is because they're insane offensively. They are at the top of the league in key metrics like EPA per play and success rate. Um, their passing attack has been crazy. They have um, one of the best passing attacks in the league at the moment. And it's no surprise. I mean, their head coach, Kyle Shanahan, is a wizard. He's one of the best offensive minds in the league. But they also have a lot of really talented skill position players like Christian McCaffrey, Brandon Ayuk, Debo Samuel, and George Kittle. And McCaffrey and Ayuk specifically are having phenomenal seasons. Both of those guys are some of the best performing players at their position this year. Debo Samuel has had some nice moments. George Kittle's been pretty good. Their offensive line has also been not amazing, but solid, especially in the run game. I think their run blocking has been uh, better than their pass blocking. Their offensive line, in my opinion, is not elite at the moment, or at least it hasn't been this year, but it's still solid. And then, of course, you have Brock Purdy, who's been very good this year. He's been great, and he's, he's played a big, a big part in their offense being so efficient. They also have a good defense. Now, I will say, their defense is not as good as their offense. Their offense is hyper elite. Their defense is really good, but not quite to the level that their offense is at. Their pass defense is really good. They have a strong pass rush that's led by Nick Bosa, and they have performed extremely well in coverage, in coverage this year, despite not having, you know, big names in their secondary. Um, and their, their pass defense looks great by, you know, yards per pass attempt, and then more advanced metrics like EPA per dropback and success rate on dropbacks. Um, and that's like EPA uh, allowed per dropback and, su and success rate allowed on dropbacks. Now, their run defense is a different story. When you look at their EPA allowed per rush and their rush um, and their success rate allowed on rushes, it's not great. It's like below average. Like it's it's not great. But when you look at um, their yards allowed per carry, their PFF run defense grade as a team, they look really good in those metrics. And that's kind of a similar situation to the Detroit Lions, which I talked about a few episodes ago. In that episode, I talked about how the Lions were really good in stats like rushing yards allowed per game and um, PFF run defense grade. But their more advanced metrics like EPA per, uh, or EPA per rush, um, and success and rushing success rate, those metrics, they were below league average. And that's the case for the 49ers, which is really interesting. So overall, the team is great. They're awesome. They're performing well. They've had some dominant performances. They're elite on offense, not quite elite on defense, but still very good in that department. Um, and I looked at some power ranking metrics like SRS, and I looked at SRS specifically because I have um, a statistical database that has every team's SRS in NFL history. And so I wanted to see where this team stacks up historically. Um, I brought up SRS when I talked about the Pacers. This stat operates the same way that it does for the NBA. It's um, average margin of victory adjusted for opponent strength. And right now, the uh, 49ers have an SRS of 14.6. That would make them a top 25 team ever by this metric and the fourth best team this century. That's from 2000 onward. Um, and when you look at teams this century, they're behind the 2007 Patriots, who are first all time, the 2019 Ravens, and the 2010 Patriots. So um, this 49ers team is historically good. They're awesome. They're great. 
And this is really impressive that they rank so high in the stat, even though they have three really ugly performances in the middle of the season against the Browns, the Vikings, and I'm trying to remember the third team that they lost to, but I can't remember off the top of my head. So despite having these three straight games where they weren't good, the 49ers are still viewed as an all-time great team by a stat like SRS. Now, let's go ahead and move on and talk about, the, talk about Brock Purdy, um, who was having just the weirdest season possible. He's having such an interesting season, and a lot of people have been talking about him. The reason why his season has been so interesting is that he ranks um, at the top of the MVP betting odds, and he ranks near the to- at the top of the league in quarterback efficiency metrics like EPA per play. Um, I'm not sure if he's at the top in like completion percentage, over expected, but he ranks at the top of the league in QBR, and so all of these key, you know, efficiency metrics, like those metrics, yards per pass attempt, adjusted net yards per pass attempt, he ranks number one overall, and so when you're looking at those stats, you're like, man, is he really the best quarterback in the league? That's why he ranks, um, and that along with the 49ers record, them having some strong performances, is why he ranks at the top of the list of you know, current MVP betting odds. Now, the question is, should he be the MVP? Some people will say yes. And if you're one of those people, I get it. And I actually wouldn't argue with you. I think that's fine. If Brock Purdy wins MVP, I will disagree with it. I don't think he should win the MVP. And I'll get into why. But I understand the argument. I get it. I completely understand The reason why I don't think he should win MVP is because I don't think he's been the best performing quarterback. These efficiency metrics that I mentioned before, EPA for play, completion percentage over expected, um, yards per pass attempt, adjusted net yards per pass attempt, they are important, but they are a small piece of the puzzle. I also, I like to, I think those metrics are important, and they help out Brock Purdy a lot. I think that he has been really good, but I do think they've been, they're overestimating just how good he's been this year. When you look at stats like PFF grade, that kind of isolate a quarterback's um, performance, or at least they attempt to, he ranks just 12th in PFF grade, nowhere near the top among quarterbacks. And then I like to look at how a quarterback is performing um, in different areas. I like to look at their accuracy, their how, how well they avoid sacks, their rushing production, because I know it's like the quarterback position. Um, with the quarterback position, passing matters a lot. Rushing does matter as well. A lot of the to- top quarterbacks are productive rushers um, to some extent. Um, and then I also like to, to look at the way quarterbacks are performing under pressure, on intermediate throws, on deep throws, whether their offense or, or whether their production is coming um, on a lot of play-action passes, a lot of screen passes. I want to make sure that their production isn't being manufactured. Um, and so I look at a lot of different things when I evaluate quarterbacks and whether or not they should win the MVP award. Now with um, Brock Purdy, He has been very accurate this year. He's also done a great job of avoiding sacks. I like that. I love that. That's not super surprising with the 49ers offense and the way that it's constructed, but you do have to give him credit for that. He he has been accurate and he, he has avoided sacks. He's also been one of the best deep ball throwers in the league this year. I know that sounds crazy, but it's true. His PFF grade on deep throws is, I believe, number one among quarterbacks this year. Um, and his accuracy rate on these throws is really good. Um, he's And now, uh, outside of these things, 
there are a lot of things to love about his profile. He, um, his decision making can be a bit erotic at times. His turnover-worthy play rate is a bit high, um, and higher than you think. I think that's one of his biggest weaknesses as a quarterback. He also isn't performing at an elite level under pressure. Um, he hasn't necessarily been like terrible in this area, but when you look at some of the other MVP candidates, a lot of them are performing a lot better than him under pressure. That includes guys like Dak Prescott, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, um, and those guys are performing better under pressure. And then Brock Purdy, Although he's been great as a deep ball thrower, he hasn't been as good as an intermediate thrower. His PFF grade on these throws is a lot lower than his PFF grade on deep throws. He has been very accurate on these throws, but accuracy is just one small piece of the puzzle. His PFF grade on medium throws is a little bit low. Um, not bad by any means, just a little bit low. And also, something that I care about is scrambling and rushing. And Brock Purdy doesn't do that uh, nearly as much as some of the top quarterbacks in the league do. And so I think there are just other quarterbacks who are better outside of structure when plays break down um, and who do things better than him. He obviously has a lot of clear strengths. He's all, he's a good quarterback. He's good. Anyone who says that Brock Purdy is not good, I just really disagree with. Um, and there are people out there who watch his tape who feel that way. But there are also a lot of guys who played in the league, who know what they're talking about, who do like his tape. Like Kurt Benkert, who used to play with the Packers. Uh, he loves Brock Purdy. He thinks his tape is awesome. And I respect his opinion. Sure. Um, and the numbers are good. I think his efficiency metrics that can be skewed by his teammates and the system that he plays in, I think they're overstating how good he's been. But overall, he's been really good. I think he's better than he was a year ago. He's improving. He is a borderline franchise quarterback. Like, I think he's probably a franchise quarterback at the moment. I mean, I he's been that good. He's been great. I'm, I'm not sure that he is deserving of the MVP award. In my opinion, he's not, but still. He's having a great season, and I think that You've got to respect it. You've got to you've got to respect it, um, and you've got you've got to give him props for how well he is performing. He's been really good this year. He's leading um, the most efficient offense in the league. I know that he gets helped out by you know yards after catch, you know the Kyle Shanahan offense, but still, you have to give him credit where credit is due. He's playing well. There are certain areas where he is really good, like accuracy, sack avoidance, um, and deep ball. Uh, throwing, but um, yeah, there are definitely areas where he needs to get better. There are definitely some fair criticisms of him, but I think he's good. I think he's having an awesome season. If he wins the MVP, I would disagree with it, but I won't absolutely hate it. I think I think that the arguments arguments for him make sense. I would understand, um, but yeah, I, I I wouldn't vote for him MVP. I would probably vote for that press guy. You know. Um, he would probably get my vote at the moment. We'll see how he performs moving forward. I'd also consider guys like, um, you know, Patrick Mahomes, Josh Allen, Lamar Jackson, um, and then some non-quarterbacks like Tyreek Hill, Christian McCaffrey, and Miles Garrett. Um, but yeah, so th those are my thoughts on Brock Purdy, the 49ers, how well they're performing, whether or not Purdy is an MVP candidate. And that's basically all I have for today's episode. We got to talk about a lot of different things. I hope y'all enjoyed it. I know I did. This was a lot of fun. Um, and I will see y'all next time. Peace.